0: Hi, I'm Gail from Europod. Before enjoying your podcast, allow me to say a few words about Europe Talks Back. In the third season of Europe Talks Back, I want to uncover the topics that matter or should matter to all of us. From gender to bodies and sex, digital to migration and urban landscapes, and everything in between. Rather than focusing on macro-level policies, let's zoom in and talk to the brave activists and volunteers with lived experience who are working directly with marginalized communities to further equity, justice, and liberation for all.
1: So, so far in this podcast series, We have touched upon many things. I'd like to take the chance to go through the different steps of our journey until now. It appears to me that we analyzed what citizen science is from a theoretical perspective. And we have tried to understand where it came from in terms of the history of science. From there, we have dug into a concrete example of a citizen science project in the field of social sciences and humanities. That is COESO. We did so by going on the ground to Lisbon, Portugal, interviewing activists, citizens and researchers involved in a specific pilot project of COESO. And afterwards, we interviewed from remote other pilot projects part of COESO. Also, we have taken a look at the logic of a tool, a platform, VERA, that could be the engine to activate more citizen science collaborations in the field of social sciences and humanities in the European research area in the future. But as we are coming closer to the end of this podcast series, there's one perspective that I want and need to take in. It's the perspective of who today is funding citizen science in Europe and contingently the perspective of who is funding COESO, that is the European Commission. citizen science can research and society be reconnected episode eight on planet european commission
2: thank you very much Jorge daniel thank you again for inviting me
1: Good morning to everyone. The voice you heard and you will listen to again in a moment is the one of Michael Arntoft, who is the head of unit for Open Science and Research Infrastructure within the DG for Research and Innovation of the European Commission. This is a recording of an intervention of Mr. Arntoft during a workshop under the title Solving Societal Challenges Within Citizen Science, The Power of Funding. The workshop was organized by COESO on January 25th, 2023.
2: Excellent. So, very happy to be here to talk both as a policymaker and also as a funder of citizen engagement in research or citizen science or participatory research, as you said.
1: Just as a reminder here, the COESO project is funded through a grant by the European Commission indeed and also some context. Arntoft is going to talk about why the European Commission funds citizen science these days.
2: So why are we doing this both as a policymaker and as a funder? We're doing it because in our science and research policy, of course, excellence and impact is what it's all about. And we believe that in many cases to include citizen societal engagement in the research process itself increases the excellence of, of the research outputs. We see a
1: larger scope. Interestingly, Mr. Arentoft explains more in detail what he means by that.
2: For instance, we see that through citizen science, you can both collect but also analyze a larger quantity of data. And so the complete quality of the data set that are underlying the research becomes indeed of, indeed of higher quality. So. All in all, more robustness of the research results, more rigor in the methodology is also important to work hand in hand, of course, with the scientific practices. What we have seen also in many cases is that when societal actors or non-academic actors are involved upfront in the research, we also see the effects
1: downstream. Downstream? I found the choice of words interesting. We
2: see that in terms of quicker uptake of the innovations because the needs of the end users, the values of societal actors, the expectations also from the research uh, taking place is more closely aligned. And finally, Very importantly, the openness, the increased transparency of the process for society also leads to increased confidence of society in the science that is being developed. So for all these reasons, we see in many cases the need to promote and also to fund citizen science activities.
1: I don't know you, but I found that super powerful. Most importantly, this little bit. Let me rewind it for you.
2: And finally, very importantly, the openness, the increased transparency of the process for society also leads to increased confidence of society in the science that is being developed.
1: Why do I find this so important? Well, because it is directly related to the question which lies at the heart of this whole podcast. The issue of trust between citizens and experts. Between citizens and science in times of acute polarization of public debates. Of mistrust in experts. Can citizen science reconnect research and society? Don't you remember that clip from episode 1 related to Brexit? The one where Michael Gove, the former Justice Minister of the UK, spoke on June 3rd 2016, just before the UK decided to quit the European Union through a referendum.
2: I think the people in this country have had enough of experts.
1: Anyhow, in his intervention, Mr. Ardentoft goes on in explaining also more in detail how all this high level approach and beliefs by the European Commission turned into policy frames or actions. Let me sum it up for you. So basically, in 2022, the European Commission adopted a pact for how research and innovation should be done in Europe. This pact features keywords that link very closely to participatory research, societal responsibility, making good use of knowledge in society and active engagement of citizens and other societal actors in the research itself. And this, in turn, translated into concrete actions under the new European research area that were put in place to either sustain or scale up citizen science activities. And also, maybe most importantly, it translated into funding. For instance, Horizon Europe. Right, wait a minute, brief AI explainer needed here, I guess.
3: Horizon Europe is the EU's key funding program for research and innovation with a budget of €95.5 billion. The program facilitates collaboration and strengthens the impact of research and innovation in developing, supporting and implementing EU policies while tackling global challenges. It supports creating and better dispersing of excellent knowledge and technologies. It creates jobs, fully engages the EU's talent pool, boosts economic growth, promotes industrial competitiveness and optimizes investment impact within a strengthened European research area.
1: The program of Horizon Europe explicitly says that it shall promote both the co-creation of research agendas and the co-design of the content of the research, the results of the research. And this is done both in terms of the content that you see in this more thematic-oriented part of the program of Horizon Europe, but also in terms of operations, meaning it impacts the award criteria for selecting projects to be financed. In other terms, through Horizon Europe, the Commission explicitly asked all applicants to consider the involvement of citizens and civil society in the research. So, I guess I have spoken too much on behalf of Mr. Arendtoff. A few examples that we have seen already
2: in the first wave of projects that we are supporting on the Horizon Europe. We see that some involving citizens very much upstream. So, in terms of being part of setting the agenda for the research to be done in the project, to be part also on giving requirements for technology roadmaps and other kinds of frameworks that are needed to frame the research to be done in the project.
1: Mr. Arentoft's intervention is very useful to share with you the investment the European Commission is upholding today in favor of mainstreaming citizen science practices. However. I wanted to know more about where this comes from, meaning how did citizen science appear on the strategy map of the European Commission in the first place. And to find this out, I had to look for someone else. Now, for once in this whole series, I think the best I can do is just share the full interview edited here and there of course I had with the person I want to bring in right now into this podcast at this very moment the name of this person is Colombe Warren as a matter of fact if you have followed me on this journey until now I'm sure you will find this very interesting even if it comes in the form of a direct interview so in this chat I had with Colombe Warren she brought me on a journey which started back in 2015 a journey To explain how everything related to citizen science in the European Commission began. And how we reached the point illustrated by Mr. Arentoft in the first part of this podcast. So, this is me speaking to Colombo Warren. Free flow. I might just chime in as an outside voice if there is need for some contextualization. And yes, I know I did not tell you who she is, but she's going to do that herself.
4: So let's start from, um, I asked you to introduce yourself. Who are you? What did you do in life? Your career trajectory, if you want, anything you want to share, I guess, which is relevant in your opinion.
3: Okay. My name is Colombe Warren. I'm French by nationality, born in Mexico. And I think I lived in Brussels for the past 22 years. And my background, my university background is on uh, political sciences and social sciences. I had a couple of different um, jobs in Brussels, including uh, communication agency and also communications manager. And then I joined the commission in um, 2011 in DG Research and Innovation. And as from... Um, 2015, I worked more specifically on citizen science project funded under the framework program Horizon 2020. And now on I continue uh, my journey at the commission and I'm most uh, focused on uh, biodiversity projects, but always with a little glance of citizen science.
4: So do you remember the first time you met the notion of citizen science yourself?
3: Absolutely. I remember perfectly well the first time this citizen science word crossed my professional life, let's put it that way. So first of all, I must say when Horizon 2022 began.
1: As Colomb mentioned this already twice, this intervention is just to explain that Horizon 2020 was the EU funding program for research and innovation that preceded Horizon Europe. Horizon 2020 ran between 2014 and 2021. Back to the interview. Let's pick up from where we left Colomb.
3: So first of all, I must say when Horizon 2022 began, there was this very specific program called Science with and for Society. And within this very specific program, because it's cross-cutting inside uh, all the programs that we have uh, in research and innovation, there was a particular field which was... Public engagement. At that time, it was called that way. And this is something that I think as social scientists, I liked particularly. And within this public engagement, there were all kinds of different techniques, methods to engage more citizens in science. And in 2015, so when this program began, it was at the same moment that we had Commissioner Moedas who was the Commissioner for Research and Innovation at that time. And he clearly stated what we call the three O strategies.
1: So the three O's strategy is called that way because it refers to open innovation, open science and open to the world.
3: And in open science, I must say that there was a clear importance. Given to citizens. So it was not only science that matters, but what is the role of citizens within science in a way. And I think to make a policy work at the European Commission, you need money. And so within this program, Science Within for Society, there was suddenly some money to begin to work on that, as I said, on a cross cutting way. And we had a bunch of projects that have been funded as from 2016. I would say little by little, from public engagement, it became known as citizen science. And I really liked that. I think um, the word, the terminology is important. And suddenly we built, that's what I really liked in my job As from 2016, we built a community of projects. EU funded projects and of stakeholders that really were the first pioneers, I would say, on citizen science. And because there were spectacular results in those projects, these came even until the year of the next commissioner, who was um, Maria Gabriel, our current commissioner still.
1: Now, what I'm going to say has little to do with the substance of this interview, but this is a typical thing that might happen when between the recording of an interview and release a few months go by. What I wanted to say is that between the interview recorded with Colomb and the day of release of this podcast, Maria Gabriel left the European Commission, so she's no longer the commissioner responsible for research and innovation. Anyhow, it does not change anything in terms of reconstructing the past, so...
3: And she suddenly realized that it is important not to, ha- to work in silos and to have on the same path science and citizens. And that, I would say, for me, although it's about science and research and innovation, it's also linked to politics. There were a series of, um, I would say, Tragic, not as tragic as the war we have now, but still concerned problems in Europe, which was the Brexit on one side, and also the fact that citizens were less and less trusting science and trusting politics. And for that, we thought that those projects could develop not only a better trust, but also some methodology about how to make them more active in science and to become more closer, I would say, to policymakers, which was not the case at that time.
4: Wow. Okay. It's interesting because you mentioned some things that I mentioned in the podcast series in the previous episode. So the next question, I think you answered already a bit, but you mentioned there were political issues going on and this topic about people not trusting politicians and probably also experts to a certain extent anymore. So. Is this a really simple way of explaining how citizen science became a relevant concept inside the context of the European Commission or? Is there anything we should add more specific?
3: When we talk about research and innovation, most of the time, you know, we talk about um, clear, I don't know, prototypes. What is the European Commission funding in terms of health, in terms of IT, in terms of environment, of course. I mean, those are the key challenges that we are facing. But at the same time, we realize that uh, we cannot have scientists working on one part and citizens just on the other part and, yeah, this mistrust that I mentioned before.
4: About this specifically, sorry, when did this come up? When did this happen?
3: I would, but again, I think it's... um conjunctions of factors. It's not always one factor. But I think that the first factor was really the Brexit, that's for sure. And then the second factor was also, I would say, the rise of populist parties in some countries in Europe, and in the European Union, definitely. And uh, the fact that we are trying to bridge the gap between not only science and citizens, but also, as I said before, politics and citizens. And um, what happened to be that uh, citizen science was strong still, I think, at the scientific level, but really uh, small and I would say a bit working in a niche. And suddenly the policymakers decided, ah, but the techniques, the methodology that citizen science have could help us to bridge the gap between these problems, between science and citizens and science and politics. So suddenly this aspect were um, brought to too light, I would say, in a way. And what was very important at that time is that uh, it's not enough to have money and to have budget to fund projects, but you need also a political will. And I would say that uh, little by little, around 2020, we had 22 big projects, I mean, funded under citizen science in this program called Science Within For Society.
1: So, as a matter of fact, this science with and for society program, which was a program within the broader horizon 2020 framework program, is also how COESO got funded. It has, of course, as any other thing on the planet European commission, an acronym, which is SWAFS. S-W-A-F-S. So, when later you will hear Colomb mentioning SWAFS, you know what that means.
3: And little by little, those projects were raised, were more known, I would say, by policymakers, thanks to something that was happening in DG research and innovation called the citizen matrix, which was a network of people working on this engagement of citizens. And then this came to the cabinet of the commissioner, and she thought of it, that it was important to raise this point at a very important competitiveness council that uh, took place in July 2019 where she circulated a fact sheet on citizen science that we drafted together with my colleague of DG research at that time explaining exactly what is citizen science what is it good for in general for research and innovation, but also in general for the European Commission, and with very short examples of some six, seven projects out of the 22 that I mentioned before. So for me, 2020 was a key year because I think we also had time for the projects to produce results. And we had also, I think, the experience to showcase what they have done. And when I say 2020, because normally it's only a year we think about COVID, but I found it a very successful year for citizen science, too. So these first reasons, this competitiveness council in July 2019, where Maria Gabriel circulated this fact sheet that I can share with you after this, uh, this interview. And the second point was, and that was very important also at the political level, was the fact that the German presidency decided to set up in the core program of the presidency a big conference on citizen science in October 2020. Unfortunately, due to the reasons we know, it was not an in-person meeting because people could not travel, but it was a very successful hybrid conference on citizen science and I think thanks to the German presidency it gave a lot of awareness of what citizen science has done.
4: So what was the objective of the conference specifically?
3: The objective was to showcase what is done at the European level in terms of citizen science and why those projects are successful. But what I like, particularly in this conference, it was the moment where we found that all the countries are involved in citizen science and what is done at the EU level. And this conference was led by one key actor in this field, which is called EXA, the European Citizen Science Association, which is embedded in the Natural Science Museum of Berlin in Germany. And this association, thanks to EU funding, I must say, but developed an EU platform for citizen science. And it was the moment to have a hub for citizen science, a repository where everybody could, of course, find information and post information on citizen science and create and make this community live.
4: Okay. If I understood it right, there's two commissioners we need to look at to understand the history of citizen science inside the European institution policymaking. The first one is Moedas. And he was important because it was under his mandate, that initial thoughts and thinking about citizen science and the importance of citizen science in the EU policymaking process started to emerge on the backdrop of Brexit happening. Is that right?
3: Yeah, it's right.
4: But then with Moedas, okay, it all starts a bit in the context of Horizon 2020 with two projects running. But then it's with Gabriel that... It gets a push
3: somehow. Absolutely. And also, I think it was linked to the maturity of the projects funded, you see, because I always say when you want to make something tangible for policymakers like commissioners and my colleagues, you of course, you need to have results <laughs> And you, you need to be able to measure and you cannot have that if you don't have a maturity of your projects. There is something very important that happened under Maria Gabriel and not only under Maria Gabriel, I would say under Ursula von der Leyen presidency of the commission, and she's still here, of course, is um, the fact that that these methodologies that are normally used under citizen science should be applied to the commission in general. And when I talk about the methodology of citizen science, I essentially talk about everything regarding co-design and co-creation activities, that we cannot work in silos, but that we have to cooperate, we have to work, and we have to
4: engage with citizens. Okay, this is very interesting, because if I understood this correctly, is. Yes, there was funding for a citizen science project, but then there was this idea that the methodology used inside citizen science project could also be enlarged and applied more broadly to European policymaking at large. And that for this shift or this, let's say, leveling up, the fact sheet operation and the conference under the German presidency were instrumental to have this happening. And this today led to a number of things. I had some questions. I'd like to go through your experience and the context of the former point, what challenges did you meet in mainstreaming citizen science? Was there any sort of resistance to this idea? of mainstreaming citizen science that you encountered?
3: There is always resistance for anything which is new. You know that. (laughs) Now, I would say that when we talk about the main problem in general is money. And there's a good budget, I think, for research and innovation, but there's always a fight for this budget. Where to allocate the money to what? And in general, when we talk about, okay, the situation we are in the EU, which is okay, but I mean, still economic crisis, we are always wanting to allocate money in something that has a return on investment in a way. I would say that at the beginning, the main problem was that, I mean, how in a way this soft attitude of including citizens in science is something key for science. So yes, you had to convince people. Scientists and policymakers, both. So that's also two categories of people.
4: What was the grossest comment you got on citizen science?
3: Why do we need that? This is blah, blah. And we say, what is it for? This is not serious. It's not concrete. It's not tangible. It's not science as such. This kind of comment. But we continue and we succeeded.
4: Okay. I got already many interesting insights from you. And I didn't think that it was honestly so deep about also politics. It seems a bit everything is inter- linked to some extent how really big priorities of the commission have an impact also on these kind of things. I was expecting something much more specific, focused on. It's an interesting chat because you bring in different things I absolutely had no idea about. I think we went through it mostly, but I think about the future, the future scenarios a bit.
3: Yeah. Give me your opinion.
4: From what I saw until now, I have this feeling that that probably inside, from what you said, that in the EU institutions, in the EU policy-making rule, it's maybe more advanced, this understanding of citizen science and using it, than it is actually in the eyes of citizens or engaged stakeholders, as you want to call them. How to say this?
3: It's difficult for me to answer that question. I don't know everything.
4: No, no, it's just my opinion. It's not a real question, but then you can react to that maybe. I have the feeling that citizen science... Is much more useful for science itself and policymaking than it is today for the citizens themselves. But this is a perception that you know most people don't know what it is actually. And I'm wondering whether this says something about how much work still needs to be done, or if it's just normal. that it is like this?
3: No, I would say it's a bit more complex than that. So in one of these projects led by the University College of London at that time called DITOS, Do It Together with Science, in this project, there was a bus that was going into whole Europe with two captains, okay, most of the time, a man and a woman. And in this bus, they were, for example, creating soap. Or they were um, working on dynamos for a bicycle and they were raising, going in very little villages and talking to children, but also, I mean, to adults in the city and saying, okay, do you want to to come here and to have a workshop on science? And it was a bit like building citizen science in action, but where all the children, or I mean, even the adults aware that this is part of citizen science? Maybe not, but that's not the problem. You see what I mean? The the idea is to bridge the gap and avoid that. uh, For example, say, oh, I hate science. For me, at the end, it's important that something become a bit more mainstream. Sometimes when it's mainstream, it's a bit softer, but it's there. And that's the most important, that it doesn't remain in a niche.
4: Right. And then, therefore, about the future prospects, how do you see the future? I mean, this was more of an analysis of uh, reaction to my to my comment, I guess. But so how do you see the future? What, what do you see needs happening?
3: The thing I hope is that citizen scientists and citizen science in general became part of regular scientific work and scientific project, that it is not just citizen science working aside with citizen scientists and citizen science projects, but that citizen science become part of the implementation of core projects on research and innovation. And I think this is a bit what Horizon Europe, the new EU framework program of research and innovation, is doing. And it's quite successful, but it will take time. It will take time because there are different communities and they have to talk together. And again, they have to build on results and impact and why it's useful and what it brought to the project. And that's the first thing, I think, so really to embed citizen science in Classic traditional research and innovation projects. And the second aspect is very important for me, and it's uh, really trust. So, how we can build trust through citizens. And I would say that, unfortunately, when we saw what happened with the COVID vaccine, there were some mistrust on uh, the vaccine itself. There were some mistrust on some governments that were asking population to get the vaccination. And yeah, I hope that thanks to more projects on citizen science, this kind of mistrust could vanish a bit.
4: Colombo, I think I'm good.
3: No, thanks a lot, Alexander.
0: want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise join europod subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and our newsletter follow us on linkedin twitter and instagram discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu and join us in our fight europod clear the noise start to listen